This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about inflation. Now, before you decide to just go ahead and turn this show off and snooze instead of listening to something about inflation, let me just say that inflation is something that affects all of us on such a scale that it really should be kind of fascinating. So let's start out with some fun facts about inflation before we get into the meat of what I really mean when I say inflation impacts us all. So here's the thing, inflation itself really is about the cost of things going up. And the reality is that economists use the gauge of whether or not the prices go up to reflect the ultimate overall health of the economy of a country. So it's more than just the cost of your favorite candy bar going up or the cost of college tuition going up. It really is designed to measure whether or not a country has healthy economic environment going on or whether or not there's red flags that point to something that we should be concerned about. So some fun facts about inflation we can find when we look at what things used to cost. So for instance, at the start of 1985, you could send a letter across the country with a postage stamp that was just 20 cents. <laughs> and now, as of when I'm recording this, that's 55 cents today. So more than double the cost to send a letter in that time period. Now, 1980s, that was a while ago, but it does serve to show us how much prices can change over time and it's on something that many of us use on a regular basis. Another thing that's kind of fun to think about, movie tickets. Back in 1985, the actual average price of going to the theater and seeing your favorite show was $3.55. Of course, that includes your popcorn and your soda and those kind of things. But today, the average price of the theater is $9.16. So again, now we're seeing almost triple the price for the experience of going to the theater. You don't even get me started about the cost of the pop and the popcorn being crazy big at the theater. And the cooler fact though, that now you can go to the theater and have reclining and heated seats and maybe a beer if you want to. <laughs> but the reality is the costs have gone up along with the amenities of the experience. Another thing that's kind of fun to look back on is record albums. So, you know, vinyl's kind of back in vogue, right? So you can go and go to a record store. You can find records online is probably where you're going to find them if you can't find a vintage record store around you. But you can still get access to actual vinyl. It's kind of back in a little bit. But back in 1985, you could pick up the average LP album of your favorite band, for an average of $5.97. And that from an inflation standpoint would translate to $14.54 in today's dollars. But if you're trying to buy vinyl online because of the vintage quality of it, I looked up the Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon vinyl <laughs> and that's about $26 on Amazon right now. So for sure, prices on things like that, along with the entire experience, has changed. 
Now let's go ahead and talk about music a little bit more. Concert tickets. A concert ticket back in 1985 was relatively cheap, so $15 roughly for a concert ticket. And today, that concert ticket, the average is a cost of $91.86 across the board, across the nation. So the concert experience certainly has changed too. It's not just a guy and his guitar, it's more of a production and a giant show, but the concert experience and the concert price tag has significantly inflated over time. So when I'm talking about inflation and I'm saying that this impacts us, I'm serious about that because these are all things that the average person does tap into from time to time. So it's not just the price of your, your uh, clothing going up. It's not just the price of your cars and things like that. Inflation really can impact just about darn near anything. So let's do a little bit of defining. Inflation means that you have to pay more for your goods and services. It means that if your income doesn't keep up with inflation, so if your income doesn't go up as much as the cost increases do, then your purchasing power is going down. You just can't buy as much. Your dollar doesn't stretch as far. You just can't have the same ability to buy things with the same amount of money as you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. That's how inflation impacts us. Now, over time, if the inflation rates are high, that can hurt the economy. But if they're artificially low, that, or going negative, that doesn't necessarily mean good things either. So there's a healthy level of inflation that is used to measure economic success of a country. And by and large, where the U.S. has come down and said healthy for the U.S. is right around that 2% mark. So they've tried to keep inflation under 2% to continue to have a healthy economy. That's kind of the target to signify healthy inflation numbers. Now, there's another term that I think is important for people to understand, and that's something that's called stagflation. So stagflation is when you have slow economic growth, but you also have relatively high unemployment. So that's kind of economic stagnation, meaning that you're not, it's sluggish. It's not really growing, and we're not putting people to work in order to help it grow. Stagflation is basically the same as stagnation in an economy. It can also be described as a period where there is inflation happening, but the gross domestic product or what the country is producing is going down. So costs are going up, productivity is going down. That can be a stagflation setting as well. The next thing that I want to talk about is something called deflation. And deflation is when the prices go down. It's a decrease in the general level of costs and goods and services in the country where you live. And deflation occurs when the inflation numbers actually fall below 0% or you're in a negative kind of inflation setting. And deflation really does signify there's some problems within the economy of your country. So. Now that you know those things, there's also kind of this crazy thing out there that's called hyperinflation. And hyperinflation occurs when the government is essentially printing money without regard to the inflation rate. It has happened before. 
It has happened in Germany in the 1920s, and it happened in Zimbabwe in the 2000s. So long time ago, but then not so long ago, it's happened too. And hyperinflation means that the inflation numbers have actually gotten to over 50%. So your cost of goods and services has gone up by 50% or more. Obviously, that'd be a crazy thing to have happen, but it has happened in the past. And so economists are very aware of trying to prevent something like that from happening in the future. So there are all kinds of different things that can happen as a result of inflation. But one of the things that I want to mention on here is that more recently, we've had a lot of news headlines about inflation. And the news headlines that I see are big inflammatory ones that make it sound like the runaway inflation in the country is going to cripple the economy. I want to put this a little bit into perspective so that people understand what's been happening and that you're not getting scared by this catastrophizing that's happening in the headlines that really doesn't seem to be something that might need to be that concerning. Okay. So let's look at the data. The data that I want to look at comes from the Consumer Price Index, and that's a major index that's used to track inflation. It showed kind of a weird spike that happened in the month of April of 2021. And this is what kind of ignited the fears of runaway inflation and is the country just printing money to bail us out of the pandemic in a crazy way? Is that going to cause runaway inflation? Are we going to hit this crazy hyperinflation that I talked about? Okay, so the core consumer price index, which is this measure, one thing I want to make sure is that it does exclude some highly volatile industries like energy and food. So when you think gasoline and, and groceries, those are not included in this index. Those are kind of outside of it. Okay, so the normal anticipated increase that we were thinking is that we would have a 0.3% increase and in April instead it was 0.9%. So it was three times as much as what was anticipated. And a year-over-year -year increase, so looking at where it was last year versus this year, they were expecting 2.3% year-over-year, and instead it was at three. Now, clearly that means that there was a spike in inflation, but let's dig a little bit deeper and see what really drove those numbers. The reality is that the Consumer Price Index increase in April was primarily driven by two categories. And those categories were used cars and transportation services. So the majority of that increase was those two things. This is according to the CPI itself. So what that suggests is that things like flights and train travel suddenly became more expensive after a year of rock bottom prices. It also suggests that people were purchasing used cars instead of new cars at a higher rate of speed. Now, why would that be? Well, we've all heard about this supply chain issue. We've all heard about inventories of everything from wood to steel to appliances to cars, new cars, not having as big of an inventory to draw from. So if you can't go buy a new car, what are you gonna buy? You're gonna buy a used car. 
Well, what happens when there's this big surge of demand for used cars? You bet it, you're bippy that the prices are gonna go up. Therefore, we saw this big spike in April of used cars. So we saw lockdowns lifted across the country in many areas. We saw people returning to work from remote work. What does that mean? Transportation is back up. Used car sales are back up. People are spending money to get from point A to point B in a way that they hadn't spent money before. Now, that all seems super logical, right? Like, if you think about that and you dig into it, it's totally understandable why there would have been a spike in those things driving it. The headlines, though, aren't looking at it from that point. The headlines are there to freak you out and to get you scared and to hopefully make you watch more news and buy more newspapers and things like that. So I just wanted to dig into a little bit about that Pre this previous spike in inflation and talk about it because I think it's really important to put things into perspective in terms of what's actually happening when you cut through the craziness and the noise and you just look at the real data. Congratulations to Mary Stirk and the team at Stirk Financial for earning a spot on two Forbes lists, Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors and Forbes Top Women in Wealth for four years running. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, where today we're talking about all things inflation. Who are the winners? Who are the losers when it comes to inflation? And why does this actually matter for people who are concerned about not only their finances, but the overall economic health of this great country that we live in. So, a couple of things that happens when it comes to inflation. Number one, the federal government does try to actually monitor it. They try to monitor it and they try to have a target of where they want inflation to stay. So the Fed's target has typically been around 2% more recently. So over the last decade, when we look at all the data from them, it's typically been around 2%. Now, as we've come out of this pandemic, the Fed has said they will allow inflation to go higher than 2%. And they have set a new target that's more of a temporary target. So you might be asking yourself, well, why would that be? Why would the Fed allow inflation to go higher than normal? What would the benefit of that be? Well, the benefit of a bit higher inflation is that inflation encourages spending instead of saving, as long as it's not runaway inflation. Why is that? Well, think about as inflation has been occurring and as we've gone through this pandemic, think about what the rates of interest are that you're getting at your bank on your savings account or on your money market. Typically, we see interest rates and inflation kind of move in the same direction, right? So you're not very encouraged to save your money right now when the rate of interest you're getting on your, your savings account at the bank is at a rock bottom level, right? That doesn't really give you a lot of incentive to yippee, let's save and make hardly anything. So it does start to encourage spending of money. And when spending of money happens, that's good for the economy because it means the buying and selling that's happening is revving things up and increasing that overall economic health of a country. 
Now, sometimes though, if you let it go too far, that can cause more inflation. So this pop in spending can cause more inflation. But if managed well, there's kind of this balancing act of the right amount of inflation creates the right amount of spending. And so that's the desired outcome is to kind of find that sweet spot to be able to do that. Now, when it comes to inflation, though, there for sure are some winners and losers. So let's talk about who loses when inflation goes up. Who loses are the savers. So if the prices of things rise, the value of your money basically falls. Because again, like I said at the beginning of the show, your dollar doesn't stretch as far. If it costs you $10 to buy something where yesterday it cost you $8, that means your money isn't going as far. So if you've saved money and you have it in something not paying you a very high rate of return, then you have a negative impact from inflation because your saved money just doesn't go as far and the rate of return on it isn't keeping up with that same pace of inflation. Another group of people who lose when we have inflation is workers or retirees who are living on a fixed income. So if your income is fixed, meaning you get the same amount of money every month and you're not having it adjusted for inflation to give you cost of living increases for time to time, you are losing in this scenario then because your dollars consistently are not going as far, your purchasing power has gone down, and you don't have those increases to try to keep up with the stretching of your dollar. Okay, another person who loses frequently with inflation is people who have borrowed money but haven't on a variable rate because frequently when the cost of things goes up the variable rate starts to rise and it costs you more than to actually pay on your debt. Winners though, in any situation where there's losers there's winners, right? So who are the winners? Well, people who owe money that is on a fixed plan rather than a variable plan. So a fixed rate of return on your debt, the inflation really isn't going to matter for you. It's not going to raise your cost any, and you're going to be locked in at this lower level of cost. So that's a benefit to you. Governments that have high public sector debt can win when it comes to rising inflation. And owners of land and physical assets can win. And part of the reason for that is you can see a rapid decrease in the value of like money in the bank or savings in the bank if your value isn't going as far, but your other physical assets could be land, could be buildings, property, things like that, might not have that kind of that same kind of decrease and could independently be increasing in value. So it makes those asset classes potentially more valuable depending on what's going on in their particular industry. Also, banks and mortgage companies can win because they can increase the variable rates, they can charge more interest and make more money in lending when we see an increase in rates. So an increase in inflation makes it attractive to borrow money at a fixed rate and it makes it attractive to spend money, all of things that actually help push towards a burgeoning economy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about prices then and now because I think that's fun when we kind of nostalgically look back at what's happened and then can kind of connect it to what I'm talking about with inflation. 
So let's talk about houses and cars for just a second. Back in the 1980s, the Honda Accord, which was a wildly popular vehicle at the time, the Honda Accord had a base price of $8,845. Wouldn't you love to be able to buy a brand new car right now for $8,800? Now, in inflated dollars, that's the value that dollar value has inflated with the CPI to be $21,544 right now. So according to the AARP article that I pulled that data from, the cost of the Honda Accord has gone from 8800 to 21,000. However, the inflation for new cars has actually gone past what the consumer price index is for regular inflation. So the cost of cars has inflated faster than other things. So instead of 21,000, the new accord today would set you back 24,000. So not everything inflates at exactly the same price. Now let's talk about houses. Now houses were never actually cheap. I mean back in 1985, the median new home price was $82,500. But $82,000 in today's dollars, I mean that might not even buy you a lot or a parking spot in some of the hotter real estate markets around the country. <laughs> the inflation adjusted equivalent of $82,500 is $201,000 now. So that means the average home should cost $201,000, but it doesn't. The average medium home across the United States has a price of $330,800. So again, housing has inflated faster than the average rate of inflation. So things that impact us all, not only just inflation, but there are some things that inflate much faster. So I hope this has been good information for you as you think about not letting fear drive you when you see those catastrophizing headlines about inflation and understanding what really goes into some of those numbers and how it might impact your own personal pocketbook. So thanks for listening today to Money Guide with Mary Stark. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. 
Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.